Welcome into another edition of the Train with the Best podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. Chris Gores. And we are at Onyx Elite in Reston, Virginia. And we are back on the guest train today. That's right. We got a it's good been one. a while since we've had some guests. It is. And also, it was weird. Last week was the Indianapolis Scouting Combine. And normally, that is That's when right. we put out the most content all year. And we put out zero because we didn't go. You know what? Uh, like, one... I actually enjoy just kind of being home. And then two, it was very interesting to see the coverage of the combine. Because when you're there, like, I don't watch the coverage because I'm there. Right. So now to watch the coverage and, like, to see them talk about things like Joe Burrow's hand size and, like... You forget how dumb most of it is. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, uh, this is not important at all like nobody cares about this stuff like yeah no like do you really think that they're not he's not going to go number one now because his hands were nine and a quarter inch instead of nine and three eighths inches like come on get out of here right nope that is absolutely it was it was it was pretty weird to kind of see how asinine some of the coverage was i didn't miss much except for all my friends going to dinners that i normally would be at i I did miss the dinners but you know what? I missed it last year, too, because I was sick as a freaking dog. Yeah, you were. Last year, you so missed So I, I had, like, one meal there, and then I left. The 2019 Combine, when Chris almost died. Yeah. No, I, I think I did. You had, like, coronavirus a year early. <laughs> I was Agent Zero in Indianapolis. <laughs> we shouldn't say that. We're going to come get shut down by the CDC. Yeah, I know, right? Here um, they come. Yeah, no, it was funny, because I, uh, I had Nora Princiati from the Boston Globe, mm-hmm. uh, who used to live here in D.C., on the show last night, and it was like, I didn't really miss it except for like when you guys were at dinner and I'd see it on Instagram and, and then I felt very left out. And she's like, well, we missed you. I'm like that. I mean, I appreciate it, but that's not helping. That doesn't help. That, that doesn't, doesn't help my put, FOMO. That doesn't put the cocktail sauce on the on, shrimp cocktail. On, on my plate. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she said that's she. The, that's the annual thing. You just got to do it. I was in disbelief. Nora told me she only had one steak in Indy. I can believe Like, wait, one steak at like, say, like. She she prime. went for it at St. Elmo's. Yeah, if you go for it, if you go for it at St. Elmo's or Prime, the, the the day or the year that we did St. Elmo's, we only did that one steak. We didn't uh, do I'm steak sure every I had day. Some steak some other night because we knew we was we knew it was coming. Oh well, like we yeah, I mean we went for it, went for it. We got like the that special tom- the, tomahawk, like the tomahawk ribeye tomahawk, that was yeah. there only for the combine. But yeah. like, I'm pretty sure there's another night that I had like. A but less what I'm saying is like steak. if you're if you're there for a week and you only do one steak, that's. It's still a big ass steak. <laughs> it is, <laughs> like, but it's like no, there's just not that many other things on the menu. Like you're right. like, oh, what's good? I don't know. The steak. <laughs> That's Indianapolis. What's good? Yeah, the steak. Like Indianapolis, Chicago. Like you get steak. You walk around a yeah. lot and you eat steak. I don't really order sushi in, in a state that doesn't have a beach. Right. This is not a. Thing. Although Ocean Air in Indianapolis for seafood is phenomenal. Yeah. So you can get some good stuff. No, seafood right is, I'm, not, I'm talking about raw yeah. sushi. Like right. I just don't get sushi from. Which also is kind of silly because most of that fish, is that even from like the United States coast or is that I, getting no, shipped No, I'm anyway? just saying. It's, it's just oh, a, it's a principle of the me. matter. Yeah. Plus like they just have good steak, so get the steak. Yeah, exactly. And potatoes. Like as my old boss used to say. When we're uh, we're actually still my boss, he's just now boss of my part time job. You know, like we talk sports on our sports radio station. Why? Because we're a steakhouse and people come for the steak. <laughs> people come for Indianapolis. The steak. People come for the steak. That's right, right. I just wish they had rice. That's just me. <laughs> I, I told you, chicken and rice, steak and rice, man. I just that's the one thing that I miss when I go out for steak is because like at home we can cook the steak to however we want it. We get some good pieces and then we eat with rice because we're Filipino and that's just what we do. 
You so to, they you don't have like rice at the steakhouses in Indy. They should, have potatoes should, and you like. You have an Onyx Steakhouse where you serve steak and rice. <laughs> yeah. That's all you serve. It'd be all Filipinos up in there. Like just. I'd go. <laughs> no dummy. Uh, all right. So our guest today. Hard left turn is right. uh, is Perry Nicholson. He is the owner and director of Stop Chasing Pain, and you met him this past weekend because he was at Onyx. Yeah, so uh, I actually to, met yeah to or I, you met him before. I've met him before. You I were did with him this weekend because yep. his other job, he's a master instructor for Rock Tape. And, That's right. Uh, was there presenting uh, for for you guys and for anyone else who signed up in Richmond? Yeah, so I I took his course. I think it was back in the fall up in Maryland. Um, and after the two days of spending time with him talking about at the time, it was a rock pod and rock floss, um, seminar. And like myself, he's a presenter that doesn't just present off of the slides. He's like, look, here are the slides. If you want to look through the slides, here's the PDF. It's been emailed to you. Here are the things that we're going to talk about and, and the why's behind this. Here's why a pod works. Here's why floss works. And so, you know, when he, when he started to break it down like that, and then he started to get into, the neurology, and I just so happened to be working with a client who was coming off of the complex regional pain syndrome, and this was like, wow, this is stuff I need to know about, and I didn't, I didn't even know, and, and it was stuff that I actually do, but I didn't know what to call it, and, and now it just kind of gave me a little bit more clarity of like, okay, that's why this works, that's why this works, and that's what this is. So, you know, when, when I had a chance to learn from him and, and he's got this really cool trick on, of how to unlock a locked muscle, um, which was really cool. Um, I said to myself, man, I got to get my staff in front of this guy. I got to get this guy to Onyx and see if I can get him to, to host a course. And, and we did. Um, so Rock Tape was, was on board with hosting a course down at Onyx this past weekend. And we had 30 People show up, and that was a mix of trainers, coaches, ATs, ATCs, PTs, a little bit of everything, and um, it was a great two days, and, and we learned a lot. I, I took away a lot that I know I'm going to use. I know my staff is going to use, so yeah, if, if you can get a chance to get in front of this guy or get one of his courses for Rock Tape, definitely sign up. Yeah, was, we're about to spend 40 minutes with him on the phone. But if you look back at the course this weekend, what's the biggest thing you took away? Like, what's the, what's the action item? Uh, well, the action items for me were gonna, are going to be to uh, don't, don't ignore the top of the foot. I think that was one thing that, like, we, we know how important the foot is. And, and people have talked about barefoot training and all these other things. But typically when we're talking about my fascial release, what we're talking about is, you know, rolling on the bottom of the foot. So he, he clearly said, Hey, look, these are the things that you have to look at at the top of the foot. And here's how this affects everything. Um, and then he talked about uh, doing a lot of releases on the sternum, which I didn't even think about it. But if you think about like having a t-shirt, right. And then you pull that t-shirt into a nice ball in the middle of your chest, well, that's going to affect your ability to raise your arms over your head. And that's going to affect your ability to, if your shirt was tucked into your pants, that's going to affect your ability to run without your shirt coming out. Right? So if you think about muscle fascia underneath your skin and all those fascia lines attaching to the sternum, the way that it does, if that's all locked up right there, guess what? That's going to affect all of your movements. So that was something that, that he was able to show and, and prove it. Like we did, Typically, what you do is you do an overhead squat, and then you say, okay, this person's ankles are jacked up, this person's knees are jacked up, this person's shifting over to the left and to the right, and, you know, his, his arms are falling over. Okay, so there are, there are mechanical fixes, but then there are also neurological fixes that you can do um, that 
are just as effective, if not more effective, especially when we're talking about chronic pain. So uh, I think those were the takeaways that, you know, no, no system is just mechanical. Everything is mechanical and neurological. Um, and then the other systems that I have no idea, I'm not even going to talk about it right now, but, you know, the lymphatic system and the vascular system, I know those are things too. Um, so, you know, no system lives by itself. Everything affects everything else. So, yeah, just it just makes me want to learn more. Just like any other good education course that you go to, it makes you think, God, I want to learn more. Yeah. And that's that's how I leave this weekend. For sure. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And the rest of the iceberg will come in the next 40 minutes or so on the phone as we let you hear our interview with Perry Nicholson, owner and director of Stop Chasing Pain. But first, we remind you that we have another podcast. Catch the Spirit is a Train with the Best Media production, and we have a new episode out now. We sat down with a couple of rookies, and it was a good time. Kaya McCullough, Ashley Sanchez, the two guests this week from UCLA. Ashley's one of the best players in the country, played on the national team level at U23, U17, just a straight-up baller. I can't wait to see her on the field. Kaya, one of the biggest personalities, and, and I've gotten to know her pretty well over the last couple of weeks. Really excited to let you guys hear it. That's right. Check out that episode where you find this podcast. You can find the Catch the Spirit podcast. Check out more stuff throughout the year for exclusive stuff with the players and coaches. Plus, they... Uh there, there was a moment in the podcast where we asked him about the most intimidating player on the team. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty, it, what was funny about the answer was how quickly they answered it. No hesitation. <laughs> no. Sorry. Sorry, Tori Euster. <laughs> uh, you can catch that podcast, like Chris said, anywhere you find this one. So make sure you check out Catch the Spirit, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Our guest today on the Train With The Best podcast is Perry Nicholson. He's the owner and director of Stop Chasing Pain. He's a master instructor for Rock Tape. And Chris, that is how you met him because he was presenting at this little place called Onyx in Richmond, Virginia this past weekend. That's right. He was at Onyx this weekend. This is actually my second weekend um, learning from Perry and um, took so much out of it just like I did the first time and, and we're really, really happy to have him on the pod. Perry, how are you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for coming back for a second round. Normally, I scare people off sometimes. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's just kind of. I'm as you know, I'm really into it when I start teaching, um, but that's just how I roll. Right? I really love what I do, and I had such a great time at your place. I got to say, it's absolutely beautiful place and a really wonderful energy that was there. And plus, Virginia, that's my home state, man. I was born and raised in Martinsville, Virginia, and it was good to go back to the south again. <laughs> That's right. It, it certainly is the South, as, I, as I've learned, moving from Northern Virginia, Leesburg, Ashburn area down to Richmond, Virginia. It's, it's definitely... You get south of D.C., like you're south. in the South. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's the line. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah so, I got my accent back a little bit, too. You know, every time I go back, because I, I was born and raised there until I was 13 years old, and then I moved up to New right. Jersey. And it always happens, you know, it comes back really fast. And I came back um, this week and people, <laughs> some people at the front desk get to my offices inside of a gym. And uh, they go, you know, I never really noticed it. You like you have a Southern accent. And I'm like, that's because it comes back when I go back to the South. <laughs> right, right. So, Perry, we don't really get into this in, in the, the education weekends because obviously this isn't a thing. But since we're on the pod and we've got time, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, becoming a chiropractor and how you got into what you're doing now. 
Yeah, well, I got into chiropractic, you know, from getting injured bodybuilding. My history is being a bodybuilder and lifting since I was like 14 years old. And I just hurt my back doing a squat. And like most people, I just, well, sucked it up and kept squatting <laughs> and <laughs> kept training and going through injuries, which, you know, kind of human nature, right? But one time it didn't go away and I had a training practice at the time. And you got to remember, this was in like the early 80s. Right. Very different back then the way healthcare was looked at as opposed to the way it is now. And he said, you should go see my chiropractor. And I was like, I've never even heard of the one. And uh, the guy got me walking in the first session and I felt so much better. I kept going back to him. But it wasn't until several years later that I even considered becoming one after I was just kind of didn't, didn't really like what I was doing anymore, looking for a different direction and then very supportive of saying, well, you can absolutely and that was my journey on getting into the healthcare profession. But I honestly don't really practice too much of the traditional chiropractic, the way that people think about it now with the, the adjustments or moving the, the bones in the body to try to affect movement, but also with chiropractic, it's affecting the nervous system, right? And then I just started to dive deeper into the nervous system more so from just going after the spine with the chiropractic adjustments, as they call it, and looking at the brain and neuroscience and trying to just understand why the body does what it does and why people, when they get pain, which is a natural thing of being a human being, right? I mean, we're all going to get it, but why does it, why do people get stuck there? I was always just curious of the why of things. It was a big, giant, deep rabbit hole. (laughs) You know, 30 years later, we're still trying to figure it out, but we learn things every day that help us get a little bit closer to understanding why human beings suffer and, and they can't get well. So I'm sure that's some topics that we'll get into. And then that's the journey that led me into teaching for Rock Tape going out about 10 years now, I think, something wow. like that. Um, just My journey in the neuroscience definitely began by looking at human movement, right? Like I was just trying to see, well, what does every human being have in common when they leave my office? Well, they got to walk, right? But then that's a form of movement. So then I just started to get dive deeper. At, well, maybe they're doing some things when they leave my office that they don't know that they're doing, right? Uh, that can affect their ability to, to get well or stay well. And then when you look at the brain very deeply, some people will tell you that the only reason you have a brain is to move, right? So it's, it's the quickest way, honestly, that you can make a change in your brain which can change pain and can change everything in your life is to change, first of all, how you move, but also uh, how you think. And then, of course, we know when you change how you move, you change how you think. When you change how you think, you change how you move. They, all, they both go intimately together. And then that kind of led me to where I am now. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. Just the, the way we've looked at movement and, and the way that I've studied movement for the past 12 years of being in this and you know and I've seen it kind of in my own eyes like yes there's the there's the mechanical standpoint of trying to fix whatever is wrong with the ankle or the knee or the hip and then there's the neurological aspect of fixing hey what what is it that's seg- sending the signal there and is that signal clear and and concise or or, or is it precise right so you know listening yeah. to the things that you have to say and then and then the other stuff that you do with the lymphatic system i think it's just it's fascinating i think it's stuff that is the next level of what we need to know when we're training athletes for sure yeah absolutely cuz you know there's going to be some biomechanical aspects to uh, movement and and pain you know that's like how how joints move how how muscles work things like that 
but then there's also a neurological component. I mean, there, there's both. You can't separate the systems of the body. I talked about that at the workshop where I see no system in your body ever works alone. And you've got more than just your musculoskeletal one. And you've got more than your nervous system. I mean, they're two big ones, right? But they're not the only ones. So they, they, they never, ever work alone. When you do something to one, you can change another. And they never get injured alone. So if you hurt your knee, it's never just your knee. I mean, you're also going to affect every other system. For instance, your lymphatic system, which is the ability to get rid of swelling in the knee, your your vascular system, which is the blood circulation that's there. And then also, of course, your brain, because now your brain says to itself, holy cow, you hurt your knee. I got to change how I move, right? And then so there's got that aspect to it. And so there's, there's always a, a mixture of no system getting injured alone and it never heals alone. And that's why we struggle because we just, we try to go after where something hurts. That's just kind of logic. Like if A, then B, uh, unfortunately, when you have chronic pain, it's never A equals B. It's A can equal Z if it freaking wants to. It can be many, many different combinations of things. So that's why Acute care pain is very different than chronic care pain. You absolutely have to delineate the two. And acute care that unfortunately might not be managed the, the correct way ultimately can turn into some chronic pain issues that you're dealing with for all types of humans, right? From, from your everyday athlete to your high level elite performers. The, the elite ones are just a little bit better of, of lasting a little bit longer because they could cover stuff up and compensate and cheat right. and suck it up and, and deal with things where the average person might not be able to, right? And so sometimes it's just a matter of they won't show you pain because they know if they show you pain, you're not going to let them do what they want to do, which is compete and train and do what they love to do. Or maybe they got a paycheck on the line and they're like, I don't want to tell my coach that right. something hurts. Because they're scared of what's going to happen next. There's so many things that go into dealing with uh, chronic pain and movement. Because you're dealing with an individual, living, breathing human being that's bringing a lot to the table. The Train With The Best podcast is brought to you by Super Coffee. Today was not a Super Coffee day because I met my sister at a coffee shop and I figured I'd be a bad patron if I walked in with Super Coffee. It would have been rude. So I, I, I got an Americano there, I was filled with regret. Because what I realized is regular coffee is just not as good. Like, it's not as good for you. It does, like, it messes with your whole system. It's just, just drink the super coffee. There's a reason it's super. It's the protein. It's the high quality of the coffee. It's the MCTs. It's just better. So we won't make that mistake again. Hey, Craig. Listen to your own ad. Super Coffee. You can get it at drinksupercoffee.com using the code TWTB, train with the best, TWTB for 25% off your first order, or you can buy it in stores pretty much everywhere at this point. Whole Foods, Wawa, Wegmans, Target, Walmart. I'm forgetting a million because you can get them literally everywhere. It's nuts. But again, not everywhere is it 25% off for a whole case or cases, and you get the whole variety. They're never going to be out of a flavor. It's pretty popular. So sometimes that does happen in stores, not at drinksupercoffee.com. Use the code TWTB, 25% off. It's better coffee than the coffee you were going to buy, and it's from Key to Life Incorporated, who reminds you that if you can change your energy, you can change the world. 
So if I come to you and say my ankle hurts and it's been bothering me for a while, how is how you are going to go about assessing and thinking about that problem different than the way a typical clinician of any kind might go out and approach that, that problem? That's a great question. So I probably won't even look at your ankle, honestly, because if it was a straightforward ankle problem, by the time you reach me, I'm usually the last person that most people see. And they've had a lot of really wonderful approaches and therapy that should have helped, should have worked, right? Like from, you name it, it could be any discipline. They're all trying to do something to help heal an individual, but they're usually going after where something hurts, the side of pain. But that's what stop chasing pain means. It means treat pain, but stop chasing it. If it keeps coming back, uh, that's probably not the site that you're dealing with. Assuming that somebody did a really good clinical examination, right? Like I need to make sure you don't have a tumor in your ankle because it could be that. I need to make sure that you don't have an underlying uh, process where you had physical damage to the ankle and you need a Western medicine approach to surgically repair something, or you might need uh, something artificial to go in your ankle, like a pen, right? Um, if you've, if you've done through all that and then they say, you know, I, I can't see things on an x-ray or even if you do see things on an x-ray, it doesn't mean that that's causing your pain. The, the thing that is very troubling in medicine is just because you have tissue damage doesn't mean that you're getting pain from the tissue damage. They don't correlate together because pain is an output. Pain is not an input. Just because you have damage to that doesn't mean that it's causing an output of pain to that region. Um, and I highly doubt it. I jokingly say that I doubt my electric muscle stim unit or my massage tools or my hand or my rock blade or any better than the one you went to before. I'm probably not going to have some magic thing that I'm going to do to your ankle that's different. So what I'm going to do is I'll treat your ankle and I may do some novel treatments that you might not have had before. Mostly mine is some deep tissue laser therapy to heal damage tissue through life. But I'm going to take a look and say, okay, well, what's the relationship that that ankle has with, first of all, the rest of your body? How, do, how have you had to compensate and move in order to protect that ankle from using the other side of your body more? Uh, also, is it going to change the way that you move your hip on the same side or you're able to rotate in your shoulder and your torso and things like that? But a lot of times, maybe your ankle hurts because you just think it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's locked in the brain and then you become overly sensitive to anything that's going to happen with that ankle because you're scared of it hurting. And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the thing that's interesting about the brain is that it becomes very efficient at something when it gets grooved in a lot. So some people, sometimes you just groove a pain pattern, even though there's nothing there. And it, it, so we have to learn to break that cycle. And that's what my examination is about. Because I'll look at your ankle and I'm going to look at the rest of your, your musculoskeletal system. Because sometimes it's a matter of it can come from the other side. But if it comes from the other side, that's brain related because things go to your brain. And then they switch sides and they communicate with many other different parts of the brain. And then you're dealing with compensations and adaptations that can happen. So it seems sometimes like wizardry voodoo stuff that, you know, that, that's crazy. I don't understand how that works. But it's basic neurology and neuroscience of how things uh, pattern in the brain and adaptations and compensations that the body does. And I'll, I'll give you one example. Sometimes it's just this simple. We went over it when we were talking at the uh, workshop that I was just there on. 
if your brain doesn't feel a body part very well through sensory input that it's called, and there's many different ways that you get sensory input, one of them is just touch on the skin of many different types right. from mm -hmm. light touch to hard touch to hot to cold to vibration to can you feel two different points separate from each other at a distance. Many times people don't feel their ankle very well when I try to see, can you tell me, do you feel one spot or two spots? And, and so if they can't tell me if they can feel one spot or two spot, what that means is that your brain really doesn't know where your ankle is in space and time. And one way that your brain has a strategy for if it doesn't know where something is, it doesn't want something to move. Does that make sense? Because it doesn't know where it is. Right. So what it will do, it will, it will restrict motion in that joint. And it has several strategies that it can do that. One, it can tighten up that joint through making your calf extra tight. You get tight calves. Or it can tighten up your shin muscle in the front, your tibialis anterior, or it can just simply reduce what they call ankle range of motion or ankle dorsiflexion. That's the ability to bring your toes up towards your kneecap or toes to the nose. And many people lose range of motion in their ankle like that, and they're always trying to stretch it or get more there. And a big one is they lose the ability to sense anything in their toes, particularly the top of the toes. And what can happen then is that it, Another strategy that your brain can take is, listen, I can't feel things. I've really been trying to tighten this area up to protect you. Uh, I'm making your calf tight. I'm making your ankle tight. And you go in and you foam roll and you, you adjust the ankle. I move the ankle. I band the ankle. And you're trying to reduce those protective strategies. And I want to say that word again. They're protective strategies. So you're taking away what the brain is trying to do to actually stabilize you. And it's saying to itself, dude, I appreciate the effort. Thank you very much, but you're not really helping me here. And we're going back and forth. And I have one way that I'm going to win this fight. And I'm going to send you something quick, fast, and in a hurry that's going to make you stop in your tracks and change some shit up. And it's called pain. So it sends you pain because it wants you to change a habit or it wants you to change a behavior. So pain is an output protective communication signal for you. And what happens is, is that the pain we need to see, okay, well, why is it there? And I've had it happen so many times where all I got to do is begin to do some stuff to the ankle to help you feel different things in the ankle. And then once your brain starts to sense where your ankle is, all of a sudden you get much more range of motion. And then pain begins to decrease because here's the thing that they're finding very fascinating with neuroscience. You guys might geek out on this like me. And I happen to agree with this current prevailing theory is that let's say that you don't sense the position of that painful ankle well. Got it? Right. One way that your brain has to know where your ankle is, is to make it hurt. So it sends pain to there so it knows where it is all the time. And it'll keep sending it there until you can uh, teach it to feel it. That's one of the reasons why if you use rock tape, for instance, if I tape your ankle, very often the first thing people feel is, holy cow, I feel like I got tape on my ankle, right? right. And that means that your brain is sensing your ankle much more efficiently. And then what'll happen is that you'll just feel more stable when you add tape, right? One of the things people say when they add tape or something, it just feels more stable, which means you have more control which means you have more feedback. So all I do is I just use a different S word 
for a stability. I now call it safety. So when you put something, a tape on your ankle, it actually makes the ankle feel more stable, but it also makes your brain feel safer because now it knows that something's got the ankles back. And all I do is just a few sensory things where I'm going to say, we're going to spend 10 minutes having you tell me the difference between temperatures and vibrations and spaces and stuff like that. Uh, and then all of a sudden people say, my ankle feels so much better, but it takes a little time because you have to reprogram the brain. You have to what we call remap it. it. Takes a little bit of time to regroove it, and the bat doesn't really stick. So that that's a piece of the puzzle. But you've also the, the brain has another side. So your say let's say that was your right ankle. Sometimes the right ankle is not a right-sided problem with the brain. It's going to have to be something done to the left side of the body, and then you only move the left side. I see that a lot because most people want to go after where it hurts, so they move the hell out of the side that hurts. Meanwhile, what you have to do is go to the opposite side of the body, and you move the opposite side of the body. That communicates with a different part of your brain that relaxes the side that hurts. And then that's where you're doing more neurology than anything. So I tell people that might be listening to this podcast, if you're a strength coach or a trainer, don't let this stuff intimidate you because every time you work with somebody, you're always practicing neurology. You just don't know it. Right. So you really need to you really need to understand what's happening when you ask an athlete to do something. The more you understand that, the more that you'll really be in control to help them get harder, faster, stronger, longer, or break through roadblocks that they don't even know that they're standing in because we want to prevent injuries from happening. And many times they have these underlying things that are brewing that they don't just don't know is uh, is there. So right. I know that's a, a really big long answer. Well, that actually, I think, was the longest answer do. in the history of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, Craig? You've, you've seen this happen. Like, yeah. what I did to Audrey Baldwin's shoulder is yes. exactly what he's talking yes. about, right? And and I, I couldn't explain it the way he just explained it, right. which is why I was like, I don't know what I did. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because Chris's explanation was, I don't know, I made her do a Filipino dance yeah, and her shoulder was like better. I just, I just made her do different stuff to let her know, to let her feel her shoulder. And, and so, so we had a... Perry, we had a, a goalkeeper who was down at our camp in, in Florida at the at the beginning of the year in January, and she had said, hey, I, I can't get my shoulder to do this. And so I'm watching, I'm evaluating, and there's nothing going on in the shoulder that's alarming to me. And I say, look, there's, there's nothing that's restricting you here. Like, I think it's just, I think. I mean, she had had surgery, yeah. but we're a year and a half out at that point. Yeah, but, like, I'm watching her do other stuff, and she does the other stuff fine. But mm -hmm. when I watch her, and, and I watch what, what you called autonomic Heismans, right? You, you said, like, hey, the brain's going to give you an autonomic Heisman. They're, they're going to wince their eyes, or they're going to clench their teeth or something. So when I'm watching her move, I'm seeing that happening. I'm saying, okay, maybe there's something going on there in the brain that says, hey, I don't like this movement. So I just what I basically did was get her to like the movement in various ways. And then I came back to the movement and she was able to do it pretty cleanly. And it was like, wow, what did we just do? We didn't fix the shoulder. We just did something to let the brain know that, Hey, this movement is actually okay. We're good with this. Right. Yeah. It's exactly how you do it. Right. And the key to that statement is this, you, you did something different than you would normally do. And the brain really craves difference. And it needs to have differences in order to determine, in order to learn. Otherwise, right. everything is just the same all the time. I said that in the course, and it's kind of like my fortune cookie moment, that a difference that is not perceived does not exist. And what that means is, is that 
if, if your brain can't perceive a body part or can't perceive a difference in things, then if there's no way in hell it's going to find it because it, through the brain, it doesn't exist. And sometimes you even have like, you see in medicine a lot, they practice what they call a distraction technique where mm-hmm. many people, are, say for instance, if they raise that arm up, they're expecting it to hurt because it's always hurt and the brain is primed to expect pain when you, when you move the shoulder, right? <clears throat> and then those autonomic Heismans that you mentioned, are, these are just uh, threat signals from the brain that don't necessarily come in with pain, they will. So the shoulder, she can have those things show up, not because the shoulder hurts, but because she's scared that it's going to hurt. And then you see these natural threat responses from some people where they stop breathing or, you know, they move a lot of other body parts or their eyes freak out. They start blinking a lot and they just look physically uncomfortable. And you're designed to determine when any human being feels uncomfortable, right? So one of the ways that you can get them there is have them get the arm over the shoulder without even realizing that they're doing this that movement. So let's say, if I give an example, if you have the, uh, in a regular doctor's office, let's say you have a kid that is terrified to get a shot. Right. Like, so you hear the word shot, they see the needle, they already start crying and they're freaking out. They think it's going to hurt. They do a distraction technique where they have the little stuffed animal over in the corner and the nurse shows the thing and they show them little cute little butterfly band-aid. And then the next thing you know, the shot's over and it didn't feel a thing because it wasn't looking at the shot. Even though it got the shot, it was looking at the teddy bear. Yep. So the sensation was there. It's just the perception wasn't there. So let's say the same thing that she's worried about putting something over her head. Well, you just you'll have her get there a different way, right? Without her realizing that she got there, and all right. of a sudden you're like, "Holy cow, that didn't hurt!" I'm like, "Exactly, yep. exactly. Yep. That's exactly what you did." Yeah, right. I, I I equated it to like my my babies. They they hate broccoli, but they love airplanes. So it's like, hey, right. I hate the taste of this broccoli that you're trying to feed me, but ooh, if you put it in the shape of an airplane, I'll eat it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what we do. We do this every day. It was, and that's what was so fascinating about this stuff is, is I learned about it. I'm like, huh, we do this every day with everything that we do. Like with, with babies, when they're in threat response and they're crying and they're screaming about something, the first thing you try to do is distract them by playing them, playing a game with them, right? Like whether it's a rattle or whatever, right? So like, yeah, it's, it's pretty and, cool and, to, to, to hear you just put it into words, this concept of, Take take it out of a threat response and put it into play, and then the body and the brain can actually receive information, the the information that we're trying to give it. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to get across in rehabilitation because we we make rehabilitation so damn serious all the time because it's pain. Right. But it, you know that that in and of itself can set up a threat response because most environments you go into, people are too damn serious, and there's a lot of fear going on, and then plus all. If you make it more playful, then people actually begin to smile. They, they let down their sympathetic guard stress response, and they begin to learn. And they actually have a good time with their rehab. Unfortunately, medicine thinks that if you make something fun like that, that you're not taking pain seriously. And I'm like, dude, you're completely uh, wrong. <laughs> that, right. You know, you need to, to do that uh, because play will uh, – open up that that connection that we need as all human beings and i tell people that there's zero correlation between appearing to be serious and actually being good at what you do right which means that i've got people that you think are big clowns and then they get people really really well because they understand the value of that and then i want to try to keep things very simple too is that 
you know, sometimes when people hear these things, I'm talking about the brain and stuff, crisscrossing, right? It can be overwhelming and then you get intimidated and, and nothing's more terrifying than the idea of unlimited possibilities. And it can be when you have pain, but I just try to make it simple. Like I'm going to bring that ankle example up. For me, it's like, if your ankle hurts all the time, stop looking at your damn ankle. That's kind of what I'm telling you. Right. And then the first thing I want you to do is this very simple thing. Just go to the other side and look at the ankle on the other side and see if that helps the painful side. And, and, and it probably will. So the only thing that you got to do is just change your strategy and change the, your different approach. Because what we do is we try to hammer like these square pegs and round holes thinking that the body is going to take a long time to get somebody well. And I think that's BS. Like, if you give the body what it wants and you give the brain what it wants, it'll tell you quick, fast, and in a hurry whether you got it right. If you right. don't give it what it wants, it'll tell you that too. So right. I don't believe in standard rehab of three times a week for four weeks, two times a week for four weeks, one time a week for four weeks, depending on the context. I mean, if you've got ACL surgery and I need to do traditional rehab, that's different. Right. But I should be able to have a noticeable change in your assessment and your reassessment. But what, what has really been driving me, guys, is this. It's that you'll learn everything can make a change in someone for a short time. Mm -hmm. Because you can easily change a nervous system or the brain, but it doesn't mean it's going to last. Right. And then that's where we have to look at, okay, we made a change, but is it making a lasting change? That takes um, two things. One, maybe it's going to take a little bit of repetition. Uh, but also, too, you're just going to have to change your strategy on what you're doing if you didn't get it to stick. And then that's what I've always been searching for of why stuff doesn't last. Because the dirty little secret is everything works for someone. The Show Me the Best podcast is brought to you by Momentus, who brings you the consistently best recovery products on the planet. And I don't talk about this often. Because we focus so much on the quality, the substance of everything. But as we've learned in the elections, this is a dangerous tangent we're going on, it's about how you make people feel. That's how we make decisions in every single facet of our lives. We don't always do the things that analytically are best for us. We do the things that we like, that make us feel good. Well, I got news for you. If you drink Momentus, you're going to feel good. The clean products that we talk about for quality's sake will make you feel good, but it's also this simple thing that we just don't talk about enough in these ads. It freaking tastes great. Every single person I have tried Momentus goes, wow, that tastes amazing. And that's on purpose because they care about everything at Momentus. They knew if they made a product that didn't taste very good, didn't matter how good it was for you. So they went ahead and did both. Every single variety, plant-based or whey, essential strength or endurance recovery, every single one not only is great for you, but it tastes fantastic. So you should probably go to livemomentous.com and it's 20% off your first order using the code train with the best. 20% off livemomentous.com because if you want to train with the best, you better recover with the best. And oh, by the way, it tastes good. And that's why we choose Momentous. I'm curious, what you, you know, you just mentioned the, uh, the, pos or the, the unlimited possibilities here. If we, if we flip the spectrum and we go from trying to, just prevent pain to the power of neuroscience to perform at even higher levels than we thought possible. How, how does that all come together the way you see it? Uh, well, oh, good question. Um, well, I mean, part of the thing with neuroscience and what they're saying in relationship to 
performance is that you, you have to understand in, in relationship to your nervous system, you got like two primary systems, right? You've got your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. So your sympathetic one is the one that most people are jacked up on all the time. That's the survival one, that fight, flight, freeze, freak out. Like that's called first brain. That's the brain that sits towards the back of the head. That's the primal brain that just wants to kill stuff, eat stuff, have sex, and then repeat, right? Like that's its job is to make sure that your ass doesn't die today. That's it, right? And if people are locked into this all the time because training drives you to sympathetic response. Stress drives you into sympathetic response. Life drives you into sympathetic response, right? And then you've got this other parasympathetic response. And then that's the one that, you know, we have to learn to relax, uh, rest, and recover. That's one of the reasons why recovery is one of the most powerful things that an athlete can do is they just need to back off the throttle a little bit, right? <laughs> because they're overtraining and they're pushing themselves and they're breaking themselves down or human beings um, just need to step back and decompress. And if the sympathetic is always on, then the parasympathetic gets overloaded. And then you get into this mode where with competition or sports or life, <clears throat> you just can't relax. And then you're always in defense mode. And what you learn is, is that you can't heal when you're always defending. If you're always in defense mode, you can't go into healing mode. That's when you can sleep, you can rest, and you can digest, right? All those sorts of things. And then that's the, the, the parasympathetic is one that most people struggle with, right? And then you have this, what they call the, the, the frontal brain, the second brain. So the first brain is that survival brain, that reptilian brain. That's the one that don't die. And then, then you have the second brain. That's the one that's towards the front of the head that's uniquely human, right? The big giant, what they call the front prefrontal cortex. That's the ability to think, right? And then be able to control emotions. And the second brain's job is to try to control the first brain. But 90% of your brain is designed to shut shit down, like stop it from doing stuff. And what happens is when you get overloaded with the sympathetic one, you lose the ability to do that. And then your survival brain kicks in all the time. And then that's where you can't make a conscious decision to relax or de-stress your emotions, get out of control and stuff like that. And then that's one of the th things that they're finding in relationship to uh, pain or overtraining or stuff like that is that people have a very hard time doing it because they're just so locked into that mode that they can't. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. I, so I one think, of the things that, yeah, that's huge. Huge. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because we, we always talk about, hey, like working out doesn't actually make you stronger. Working out actually makes you weaker. It's recovery that makes you stronger. And it's uh, it's always Correct. finding these these ways to recover. And even and even we just got done with the NFL Combine. One of the things that we learned last year at the NFL Combine was, hey, when you get to Indianapolis, the first thing that we try to do is get you to relax because you're so stressed out about running this 40 in front of all these coaches and interviews and all these other things. And, you know, the guys from MJP said, hey, the first thing we do is get them into their parasympathetic systems and parasympathetic rhythms and tones and get them to sleep. That's what we try to do with all of our athletes when we get here. So, you know, obviously people don't have some of the equipment that they use when they're attaching to the wrists and all that other stuff. But you went over something this weekend when in regards to 
uh, a myofascial release or, or whatever it is that you want to call it on the sternum that can help people get into their parasympathetic tones or rhythms. Tell me how that works. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful one. So the, the area around the sternum, that's your chest bone, that sits right in the middle of your, between your left pec and right pec, and a pretty important organ sits behind there known as your heart, right? So if you mix in Western medicine and Eastern medicine, and Eastern medicine, that's called your, like your, uh, it's going to be your uh, heart chakra, your energy point in there, also from Ayurvedic medicine. And so that area also is, from Western medicine, very powerful because it's a soft tissue bridge of what they call fascia, which is the connective tissue of the body, from your left shoulder to your right shoulder, from your neck down to your pelvis and from your left shoulder to your right shoulder. And most people today, when they're under stress, right, and then they're just rounded forward from posture, they may overtrain the anterior chain, do too many benches and not enough reverse, right, like in the mid-back, and they become really, really tight in the front. And unfortunately, that also happens too. When you don't have a parasympathetic response and you're too sympathetic, you round forward in the front. And so you cave in because your parasympathetics are not able to be activated as well. So that's kind of like a survival position, right? Like if, if life is kind of coming at you, you curl into a fetal position, right? And so it becomes very restricted in that region. Plus running behind your sternum without getting too much into anatomy here, you're going to have a lot of lymphatic vessels that drain swelling and inflammation from the body particularly all of the lower body. But also behind there, you have nerves that go, to, I mean, excuse me, uh, blood flow that goes to your diaphragm called your phrenic nerve. And then you actually have your vagus nerve that runs behind there. And the vagus nerve is important because that's the nerve that comes from your cranium, your skull, and it goes down to all the organs of your body. And that's the number one nerve that puts you into a parasympathetic relaxation state. So people do vagus nerve stimulation drills a lot to put them into a relaxed state. Some examples are singing, uh, puts you into that as well. Swallowing and yawning puts you into it at the same time. But so we want to stimulate that nerve and we want to relax the tension and the tightness that's there and the fascia that's there and increase blood flow to the body. And it's a very neglected region because I jokingly say nobody, I don't think in the history of my doing this stuff, has anybody come in to me saying, doc, I got to see you. My sternum is killing me. It's something else. It's like my neck, my shoulder, my back, my hip, my ankle, whatever. Uh, but meanwhile, I'll go in and I'll assess their sternum and it's excruciatingly painful on the sternum because it's puffy and it's swollen and inflamed. And it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be non-painful and it's supposed to be very hard because it's a bone. So all I have people do is this. They just go in and then they, uh, I'll, I'll assess it and I'll press in there and it shouldn't hurt. Healthy tissue doesn't hurt when you press on it. And sometimes it can be the most excruciating pain that anybody's felt and they're just shocked because they had no idea. And then I just rub it and treat it, but I don't put you in pain while I treat it because that's very important that we know. We don't want to put somebody in more pain when we're trying to decrease pain because I'm just going to feed that dysfunctional loop in your brain and then it's going to take me longer to get you well because I'm hurting you when I'm trying to help you. So we, we do it lighter and, 
And then I teach them how to do that on their own. And when they release it, it's also a very emotional point. One, because it relates to the heart chakra. Two, it frees up the, it helps stimulate the vagus nerve so it relaxes. It frees up blood flow to your diaphragm. So now you can use your diaphragm better. <sighs> will put you into a relaxed state and meditative state and move your organs. And it drains your lymphatic fluid at the same time. Plus, your lungs sit behind there. And then you'll be able to expand more in your lungs to get a better breath to go harder, faster, stronger, longer with your endurance. And then uh, also the lungs and Eastern medicine relate to sorrow and grief. So sometimes when I work in that region, you may have even seen it in a workshop, people get emotional. Some people start to cry. Some people let go later, but they have this release of tension. And then it's the number one way to decrease pain in the middle of the back that people are struggling with. So it's like a magic wizard set point. I mean, it's very, very powerful. And you can even put a strip of rock tape running straight down the center from the bottom, from the top of your sternum down to the top of your abs, and it can work in there 24-7. But it's a... It's a soft tissue point, but it's a highly powerful neurological point that can make a fast, profound, instant change to the body as you witnessed during the workshop. And how many people did it change their overhead squat like quick, fast, and in a hurry, right? Right. Yeah. Does that make sense of yeah. how powerful that is? I mean, I hope people are writing that down because I want you to go do it like today. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really interesting. Perry, if people want to learn more from you, uh, where is a good place to find where you'll be presenting next? Very easy. You go on stopchasingpain.com, and then that'll be my central hub for finding you know, my workshops, my membership, my videos, and you can reach me directly. I spend uh, probably an unhealthy amount of time on Instagram <laughs> that you can find me on there as well. But it's not hard to find. Just type in those words together, stopchasingpain.com, and you can find me. At Stop Chasing Pain on Instagram if you would like to follow him. Perry Nicholson is the owner and director of Stop Chasing Pain. He's a master instructor for Rock Tape, and he has made us smarter today. Perry, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We will definitely do it again. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.